Welcome to Discover Healthier. Everything you need to know about health brought to you by Discovery Health. I'm Azania Musaka. You can join the conversation as we explore some of the most pressing matters in the healthcare environment today. A wide variety of topics and specialist guests will empower you to care for your health now and in the future. Many of us underestimate the fact that our mental health, which refers to our emotional, psychological and social well-being, is fundamental to our overall health. Our mental well-being affects how we think, how we feel and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, how we relate to others and make life choices. It's about resilience and optimism, determination and growth. Maintaining our mental well-being means having the ability to thrive in our relationships and at work as well as play, despite the ups and downs of life and the challenges that come our way. We've heard from our experts on mental health and the ways in which we can ensure our mental well-being. Now let's hear from two courageous ladies who have agreed to share their personal mental health journeys with us. I Choose to Live. That's the title of a new book written by my next guest. It's all about how she managed the greatest challenge of her life, losing her husband, Guguzulu, when the two of them climbed Mount Kilimanjaro three years ago. How did Litsiho Zulu maintain her sense of mental well-being after Gugu's passing, a death that was mourned by all South Africans, and managed to find the strength to raise their baby girl Leletu as a single working mum? She joins me now in studio to share her remarkable approach to life and the lifestyle habits that kept her going during the toughest times of her life. Hello, Azania. Listen to that shyness. Meanwhile, <laughs> you are this well-loved South African who inspires us on our fitness journey. I mean, where did it start for you, actually? When did this road to, to fitness start? Where did it come from? Mine was the literal monkey see, monkey do at a very young age. Yeah. Um, I remember clearly mom and I were staying on campus at Fort Hare University. She was a lecturer and a matron of the hostel and we stayed across the road from the sports field where she used to run around and around and around and uh, on most afternoons she'll say to me take your ball or take a book and just come and sit on the grandstands so I think after sitting there on the grandstands and eventually getting bored with my ball and getting bored with my book and I would look up and see her going around and round and round eventually one day I said to myself let me try this thing out let me go see what she sees in this and the bug bit back then already and I remember I remember doing my first five kilometer run, fun run, at the age of eight. And you went on to then be a biokineticist? Yes. Right. So I think, Tell us that background. So I think my love of physical activity started back then. Um, you know, I went on to do essentially all sports that were offered um, at my school, from squash to tennis to athletics to high jump, long jump. I did it all, anything and everything that was offered. And uh, I remember when I got to, um, I think, the end of Standard 7, when we had to choose our subjects, I said, well, 
all I want to do is um, something to do with the body. So biology was, you know, the only subject that I made sure that I signed up for. And yeah. then I played around with the rest of the subjects. And then when I got to varsity, I remember the first year I did sports management because I knew it had to be something sport related because mm. I loved sport. Then I got bored after a year and my mom allowed me to change the course to sports science, which I then got my BTEC in. Um because that's what you get in, uh, I went to Pretoria Tech yeah. um, or TUT as it's well known. Yeah. And uh, I remember in my third year of uh, sports science, I had, um, I had a knee injury from running or netball or something. And I was limping around campus when a biokinetic student walked up to me and said, what's wrong? And I, you know, I told him that I've got this injury and um, he literally invited me to the rehab center on campus. And I watched the entire rehab process because he rehabbed my knee back to health. And I said, I want to do this. <laughs> I want to fix people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's how I got into biokinetics and uh, rehab of injuries and my love for the body and physical activity. I just love how these things have evolved, you know, what one became and where the seeds were. Exactly. Because now you have created this massive following, this huge following. Yeah. Uh, and especially when you do your pop-up gyms, yes. this concept of bringing together people to work out in yeah. a public space. Yeah. So, you know, obviously, um, you know, I got into biokinetics first and uh, I ran my own private practice for five years. But after five years, I felt I wasn't reaching enough people because with rehab, you can only rehab one patient with their injuries yeah. per hour. And at the end of the day, you've only seen eight to 10 people. And after five years, I felt like I, was, I hadn't touched enough lives. <laughs> and, um, you know, with my passion for health and fitness, I can wake up e every day and essentially choose something different to do. You mm. know, um, there's an array of physical activity um, and sports that one can take part in on a daily basis. But it's not like that for the majority of the population. Mm. And, um, you know, I thought to myself, I sat down with Kitty, where my now pop-up gym partner back then, she was also very passionate about health and fitness. And it also comes that easy to her and we said to ourselves how do we make it fun and accessible and easy for those you know excuse my <laughs> my lack of a better word <laughs> yes. but the couch potatoes out there that are struggling to get off the couch mm. how do we make it fun how do we you know make it easy for them to choose physical activity on a daily basis mm. and that's how pop-up gym came about because it literally is about showing people that you can train anywhere anytime yeah. whether it's in your living room whether it's on the stoop at home whether it's in a parking you lot you took away our excuses yes hashtag <laughs> but that's it you know our hashtags are hashtag train anywhere train anytime hashtag no excuses. No excuses. Yeah. You took yeah. them away. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in parallel to all of this is that incredible love story. Yeah. Um, your book, of course, I Choose to Live, Life After Losing Gugu. Um, your husband, uh, Gugu, passed away when you had climbed Kilimanjaro with him. So tell us about that, a bit about this love of your life. Sure. I met the love of my life at the tender age of 16. Mm. Um, I was, I had just started matric. So I was 16 turning 17 in matric. And um, wow, 
that's all I can say. My mind was absolutely blown. You know, very often throughout our relationship, I'd pinch myself and say, but is this guy real? You know, is this relationship real? He was an incredible human being, an incredible spirit, you know, that people continue to celebrate till today. I had somebody that I met last week um, in a meeting who couldn't say in the business meeting that, hey, by the way, I knew him and Mm. he was a a special spirit. I received an email thereafter. And he touched a lot of people's lives. And I know that there's some people that met him only on one occasion, but they still have so much good to say about that very special human being. You were the adventure couple. Yes. And you shared a common passion, a common interest in uh, fitness and physical activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that you did along with the running, along with the cycling, as one of those adventures, you decided to climb Kilimanjaro. Yeah. What was the, the motivation for that? We had a common love for adventure, Mm. you know, not just the mountain biking and not just the running. Um, Kilimanjaro was on both our bucket lists for a very long time. Um, I think we probably spoke about it for about five years before we eventually took on the challenge. And um, it was actually a couple of months after Lilitu was born back in 2015 when you know, one Saturday morning, Gugu and I went to the North Cliff stairs and uh, he was shooting exercise videos of me because I wanted to show people that, you know, you don't have to wait for years after you've had a child, you can get straight back into it. So there I was back in my motivational self shooting exercise videos a few months after giving birth. And we bumped into Silo Hatang, the CEO of the Nelson Mandela Foundation. And um, Silo had just come back from climbing Kilimanjaro that year. And, you know, he told us about the cause that he was climbing for, which is caring for girls, which uh, tries to raise awareness for, um, Mm. you know, the lack of sanitary towels that, you know, unfortunately, there's so many girls in our country that go a good 50 to 55 days a year without access to sanitary towels. And I remember the minute Silo told us about caring for girls, both our eyes lit up and we, I was absolutely shocked. I never knew that there were girls that had that problem. Mm. So immediately we said, we want to do that um, because we've just had our own little baby girl and we'd hate for her one day not to have access to sanitary towels. So this is a good cause to climb Kilimanjaro for. And that's essentially how we decided to go and climb in 2016, the following year. For anyone who's read your book, they would know that you open in very stark fashion because you literally take us to the moment, the moments before he passed away. Mm. And for those that are not familiar with your story, what happened on that mountain? Um, sure, I could, I, I could sit here and just, you know, go through the entire story. But um, in short, um, Gugu succumbed to altitude sickness mm. on the mountain. Um, it's It's one of those things that will take you by surprise completely as it did with us you know um, he was super fit he had just completed his fourth Absa Cape Epic, which is an eight-day mountain bike race just a few months before that. So none of us expected that he would succumb to an illness on a mountain while hiking. That's just walking, you Mm. know. Um, And this is somebody that was super fit. So, um, you know, it took us all by surprise and... um, yeah, he succumbed to altitude, yeah. high altitude. And you were by his side. I was by his right side. Right through. Right through. When the call was made a good four days into the hike, when we were very high up for him to descend, yeah, that mm. was essentially the end of our our attempt 
to summit Kilimanjaro and um, we descended. It took us a good eight hours to get off the mountain. And um, yeah, unfortunately, by the time we got to the hospital, we had lost him. So that's that's the executive summary. Yes. Um, I've obviously detailed it a lot more in the book. Mm. But um, yeah, one of the fittest brothers out there, you know, that was very passionate about health and fitness, um, unfortunately was taken by yes. altitude. You decided to go back and you summited. That takes a lot of strength. Yeah. What carried you through this return to Kilimanjaro? So first and foremost, when the call was made for us to descend the mountain, I, I don't know where the thought came from, but a thought crossed my mind that, hey, this mountain will always be here. It's been here for thousands of years. Yeah. So we can always come back. Let's just make sure that he gets well. Mm. Um, and as we were descending, you know, I, I whispered to him, you know, we'll come back. Um, you just hang in there. Mm. And, um, you know, of course, um, we lost him on the mountain, but I went back for a couple of reasons. One of them being that I made a promise to him that we will go back up the mountain. He unfortunately didn't make it. And I'm one of those people that always, or at least tries to keep my promises. And that was a promise that I made. So I had to go back. Mm. Number two, um, personally, I'm one of those people that when I start something, I must finish it. If it takes me a long time to finish it, then so be it. It must be finished. So I'm headstrong in that way that I had to go back. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I thought to myself, if I leave this for a couple of years, I may never get around to doing it. So why not go back same time, same place, with the same people for the same cause the very next year? Mm. And that's what I did. And that takes strength. I want to talk about that strength because you've lost someone so dear to you and then you go in honor of their memory, in honor of what you shared together um, to the site where you lost that person while you are grieving, raising a very young child. Mentally, what what is going on? What are some of the things you had to overcome to be able to take yourself there, to, to beyond even signing up, but to show up at the base of that mountain, committed to summiting. So a couple of factors played in my mind in preparation for going back and completing this. You know, I, I felt like I had a monkey on my back, yeah. so I had to get the monkey off my back. But mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things that rang in my mind was, I want to tell the story one day to our daughter. And I want her to see that, you know, her mom is a conqueror, a warrior. And whenever someone has a challenge or an obstacle in front of them, they by all means find the way to work around it, over it or under it, but to somehow, you know, work through it. And, um, you know, she won't understand anything right now. She's only just, she's about to turn five um, later on this year. But, um, you know, I hope that little girl understands that as a woman, anything is possible if you set your mind to it. Mm. And um, yeah, mentally, it wasn't easy, especially once the media was alerted that I'm going back. Once it was out in the public, I had a lot of inboxes, you know, on social media. I had people that got hold of my email address and I had long emails from particularly women, which was quite interesting, telling me how unsafe it is and your child has already lost one parent on a mountain. Now you want to go and do it to her again. Mm -hmm. So I had, a, I had to deal with 
a lot of naysayers. Um, and I can say that now, you mm-hmm. know, that it was naysayers. But at the time, it grappled my mind. And I literally had to sit there and ask myself a million questions. Why? And what if? I had so many what ifs in my mind. But above it all, that the conqueror spirit, you know, that Gugu fell in love with yeah. is what <laughs> eventually got me up that mountain. You mm-hmm. know, yes, I won't lie. Every step of the way, I had to just, you know, keep checking that I'm healthy enough. And um, it wasn't easy, but I, I, I did it because, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I want our daughter to look up to her mom and um, and be able to face her own challenges one day when she's old enough. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. But grieving is a long process mm-hmm. and one that can't be defined or managed or controlled, so mm-hmm. to speak, about how long it will take or how it will manifest. Yeah. There are lots of lows as part of the grieving. Yeah. So what was that like for you, going through these lows that came with the, with mourning? So, sure. I'm one of those people that spends a lot of time in my head. Mm-hmm. I, for the longest of times, have been one of those people that talks to herself. I, I revise things in my head over and over. I don't know how many times I replayed that night in my mind to try and figure out what happened. And, you know, I think in a way it was a it was a process of trying to to understand why this happened. And in my constant replaying, at some point, I said to myself, you can't change what has happened. And because you can't change it, what are you going to do for yourself? Because you're still here on earth. So for me, it was a mental, you know, I live in my head, as I said. So I constantly process different thoughts all the time. And at some point, I said to myself, grieving and being sad and being in this dark place is not going to do anything for me. It's not going to bring him back. Mm -hmm. And that's when I flipped the script on myself and flipped the situation. And I said, well, I am going to make a choice not to grieve losing him. I'm going to rather celebrate the gift that he was to me, to my life. So yes, you're right when you say that It's not something that can be timed. Nobody can say it'll take you six months, it'll take me six years or however long to grieve. It's a personal journey. And I found it particularly hard when I've had quite a number of people that have reached out to me to say, oh, I lost my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or my wife or whoever it is very close to them. And you have been such an inspiration. How did you do it? Mm. There is no formula You have to do it for yourself and you have to do it in your own time. The other thing as well that played a huge factor, which I chose because I'm, like I said, I live in my head. I I learned to silence the noise around me is you have so many people that love you, that want to help you on this journey. But the truth of the matter is it's a personal journey. And nobody nobody can pause it. Nobody can do it for you. No one can fast track it. And you literally need to learn to just silence the noise around you and process it on your own. Yes, there can be people that assist you on this journey. I, in particular, was assisted by a lady called Chelsea Dinsmore, an American lady who also lost her husband, Scott, 
on Kilimanjaro um, a few months before Gugu passed away, she shared her story. And by her sharing her story, it helped me to process what had happened. So that's also why I continue to share my story on a daily mm. basis or when, whenever I get the opportunity. Because sharing my story might help the very next person to Absolutely. share theirs. We know all about your little girl, beautiful Lele too. Um, but now you're having to raise her and manage life as a single parent. Yeah. When you reflect on that, what has it meant for your mental health? It's almost four years. This year, the 18th of July will be four years. And I remember that was one of the biggest mental hurdles for me when Gugu passed away. In those first few days, I thought to myself, gosh... Here you are passing away just after your daughter's first birthday. How on earth am I going to raise her by myself? Mm. And then I remembered my own mother. I was just over two when my dad passed away and she survived. Mm. I said to myself, well, surely I'll be okay. My grandfather passed away just after my mom's fifth or sixth birthday. And she was the baby, so they were five siblings. And my grand survived. She never remarried. I think it was a mental challenge for all of a couple of days. Yeah. And, and I said, you know what? Only God knows. Mm. But I'm still here. And I'm going to give this thing an attempt yeah. <laughs> and see how far I go. Yeah. And um, luckily, because my mom and my grand are still alive, I could always lean on them to help me through this. Mm. And yeah, I'm amazed. She's, I mean, she's about to turn five. She's still here. <laughs> We've managed. <laughs> and you are doing you know? it. And, you're and still I am saying, doing it. Still standing. Still standing. But what's in your arsenal, your lifestyle choices that you make also to help to support life? Yeah. The rest of your life. So what is in your arsenal of maintaining mental wellness and the things, the sort of holistic things, the complement of things that you have in your arsenal to mm. support your life. There's one thing about me that a lot of people have known me for, for the longest of times, is that I'm one of those people that's a realist about everything. Any and every situation that I get myself involved in, I'm the one that will call it like it is. Gugu passed away, I was utterly shattered and broken. Mm. But shortly thereafter, I had to sit and say, well, that was the end of his road. I'm still here. I need to continue down my road. Mm. And that's how I essentially face any and every challenge, you know. It's a mental thing where you, you almost have to sit there and channel your own path. There is a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of things that people will say and do. But if you are able to, at the end of every day, sit down in your own little quiet space, mm. reflect on the day's happenings and what you wish for the next day, then you're already on the right path. Yes. Has it meant a strengthening of your faith? Absolutely. Church was a sanctuary for the two of us. And, you know, I'll be open and honest in saying that I struggled to even go to church shortly after Gug's passed. I tried once or twice and I would absolutely fall apart because that was our place together. And I struggled to make my way back. But before the end of that first year, I, I made it back, you know. Um, I've got a, an amazing pastor, um, Reverend Shona, 
who would even visit me at home, my church came together. The Anglican church came together and not just my own church, but quite a number of churches around the country came together to support me. So the support of church, the support of family and friends means a lot when you're going through um, mental challenges or just challenges as a whole. It's one of those things that, yes, when you do encounter really challenging times in your life, your network around you is very important. But you as a person, because you are the only person that you have to deal with on a daily basis at all times, you have to have those moments where you sit and you reflect on your own and, um, you know, learn to be content in your own space without the noise. Mm. So it's almost, you know, there's two sides to the whole thing. Sounds so meditative. Just listening to you, I can see you, you know, quietly having a quiet moment, you know, in silence, a sort of meditation. But what lessons have you learned about your own resilience? I didn't even know that I was this resilient. Mm. You know, if if somebody had told me a year before Gugu passing away that I would lose him, I honestly, I, I don't know how... I didn't think I'd be able to survive that, right. you know. Um, but I think it just, it, it taught me about the strength of the human spirit. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about life. I think this particular major challenge in my life um, has helped me grow. I think I've grown a lot more um, as, as as a human being um, in the last four years. I've learned to be grateful for every single morning that I'm blessed with. I literally wake up and I say, God, thank you that I've made it to this day and uh, may I make it through the day, you know, to the next one because the truth of the matter is tomorrow is not guaranteed to anybody, you Mm. know. Um, We make plans and we have wishes and and tomorrow is not guaranteed to anyone. So learn to make the best of every single day. So what lies ahead? Sure. I'm excited about the future. And I say that all the time. I am constantly um, one of those people that's striving for the next big thing. You know, I took over a completely different business that's not even health and fitness related at the end of 2019. Um, I've gone into the outdoor media space now, something completely different because, hey, you not that you only live once, you live every day. And, uh, you know, there's so many, so many things out there that one can do. So I'm always striving for the next thing. And earlier on, I, I helped to launch a, a mountain biking initiative to get more women mountain biking. You know, I've managed to get a lot of people off the couch to exercise <laughs> and do aerobics and, and Zumba and so on. And because I've been cycling for 12 years and uh, women in that space are very few. And there was an initiative that was launched that aims to get more more women mountain biking because that's one of the best ways to see our beautiful country, you know. Absolutely. A lot of us are constantly on the N1 in our cars or on road bikes on the N1 and the N12 and so on, but no one ever goes into the rough and rugged terrains of our country to see the beauty that uh, that lies out there. Business growth, I've got a little one that's growing. You know, being healthy and active is one of the best gifts we can um, we can gift to ourselves. It means that you are able to go through your day with so much more ease. So having that voice to be able to encourage people to just get up and be active 
active and it means the world to me because that is what I've strived to do for the longest of times. Right. It's very easy for me to get up and decide to go for a run on a Monday, a cycle on a Tuesday, an aerobics class on a Wednesday and um, go and do something else on a Thursday. But it's not that way for many people. And, you know, being given that platform and that voice to... Um, to encourage more people out there to mm. get up and even if it's just 15 minutes, yeah. you know, yeah. to do something and be um, physically active and, and eat healthy. Yeah, it's an, it's an honor and a privilege to mm. be able to have that voice to help people, um, you know, make the best of their health and fitness. Yeah. So do you think that lifestyle is key in supporting those who have challenges with their mental well-being? Absolutely. When Google passed away, I'll, I'll take you back to then. I think I was probably off physical activity for about a month after that eight-hour trek down the mountain in the middle of the night until a friend of mine called me um, one day and she said to me, she actually asked me when last I exercised and it was a long-winded conversation, but I said to her the last time that I had exercised was a month earlier um, coming down the mountain and she said to me, but you know, wherever Gugu is, he's looking down at you and he's shaking his head um, because you're not doing the one thing that absolutely makes you happy. So there lies in the answer in that, you know, being physically active and healthy just releases those good hormones, those endorphins. And, um, you know, it helps to clear the mind. You know, it just helps you to to face challenges. It is very important to to follow a healthy and active lifestyle, eat healthy, mm-hmm. exercise as much as you can. And um, even when you're not feeling like it, just get up and go for a walk around the building or around um, the backyard or whatever it may be. Just do something physically Spend active. Spend time and, in nature. They exactly. actually say that that immediately makes you feel better. Exactly. You yeah. know, get that blood flowing and um, it should result in um, <laughs> in feeling better. So that's a support structure Absolutely. for mental wellness. Yes, no, definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. May you keep striving. Thank you so much, Litsejo. Thank you very much for having me, Absanya. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, then make the most of another opportunity to deepen your understanding of mental health. Tune in to listen to an expert doctor and psychiatrist who join me as we delve into managing mental illness. We also chat to two brave young women, Gugu Masondo and Dr. Nogukanya Kanyile, about their personal journeys through mental illness and how this led them to start public conversations aimed at demystifying these conditions and addressing the stigma faced by those who suffer from mental illness. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Healthier, brought to you by Discovery Health. Join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Discover Healthier and tag at Discovery underscore SA. You can subscribe to our podcast channel, Discovery South Africa, on your favorite podcast app or visit discovery.co.za to listen to our shows. 